So hey everyone, we're back with another episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast, and I'm very, very glad that today we're actually having a live episode for the first time. And it's a huge honor and pleasure to have two industry pillars today uh, today on the, the episode. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to let the, our two uh, guest speakers uh, introduce themselves. So uh, Brenda, how about you take the lead? Okay. All right. Um, I'm not used to that. Usually contractors get to go last. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start out first. All right. So um, I'm Brenda Riggle. I'm formerly the executive director of Nuke of Pennsylvania. I served in that uh, position for 26 years here in Pennsylvania. I'm now the owner of my own company, Dig Prevention Consulting. Um, prior to my uh, years of service with Nuke of Pennsylvania, I had 12 years as, as a legislative um, person in both the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and then later as the um, Pennsylvania Senate. So I was in both houses, I worked both chambers, and I know that process pretty well. Um, I d am certified with the PUC to be a damage prevention trainer. Um, I handle a lot of damage investigations now with my company for contractors. I work with some lawyers doing that. Um, I've been involved with the one call law rewrites since 1996. That's a long time. It feels like a long time anyway. I've served on uh, multiple uh, committees on the one call board um, that they are the, the, I don't know if it's the board, but the system um, on the construction committee, legislative committee, user guide um, and compliance committees. Uh, I've prepared numerous amendments. I've worked with the one call we were the first in the nation that I'm aware of to get subsurface utility engineering included in our law in 2006. Um, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to be recognized for my legislative efforts uh, here in Pennsylvania. Uh, Nuka National um, awarded me the We Dig America Award and uh, Executive Director of the Year and numerous other uh, legislative achievement awards that I've received as well. So that's my background. Um, let me introduce myself, but before I do that, I want to recognize Brenda, because Brenda has been a true champion of subsurface utility engineering in the industry, and uh, uh, in the three years that I've gotten to know her, do a little bit of mentoring with her, she's, she's doing an outstanding job, so congrats, Brenda. Uh, good morning, I'm Nicholas Zambellis. Uh, I have got 44 years. I'm a vice president with George F. Young, a Florida-based company in which I do strategy and business uh, development. I'm also on my own companies, uh, which is Subsurface Utility Engineering, LLC, where I do consulting to engineering firms, to a lot of department transportations and port authority. And I'm also a subject matter expert in Sioux and the various seven country ASCE and the various countries Sioux standards. And I also own a Latin American company called Sioux Latam, which is right now, they probably have some of their people looking at this because we sent that out, but uh, basically 44 years 15 of it in the Department of Transportation in Florida, and the rest in the private sector. Awesome, thank you. So let's, uh, let's kick it off. Um, a very broad question, but what are the challenges of subsurface utilities today? Um, Brenda, I'll let you start. Okay, so from the contractor's perspective, 
And one of the reasons that we went with the Sioux uh, language was because we've recognized that over the years, we've had a, an increase in unmarked lines. Um, so the contractors made is one call and the lines don't get marked in time. Um, and we also have noticed there's a lot more mismarked lines that, that lead excavators to think that there's nothing there. And then he excavates into it and it's like, oopsie. Um, luckily, no one has died from it. We're very fortunate because this is a huge safety issue, in my opinion. Um, it, it, it is the number one reason why this law came about in the first place. So we need to look at that. The third issue I think that's really been a problem is abandoned lines. Um, they're often located for live lines and their excavator thinks he's found the line, he's ready to excavate and he digs down a little farther, um, boom, there's a live line uh, instead of, a, you know, because the other one that they marked was abandoned. So we, we have a lot of issues that have all kind of come down on top. Of course, for me, my contractors were always pushing um, for downtime legislation to be added to our language and our law. And unfortunately, our Pennsylvania Supreme Court came down with a decision that said, nope, the only way you can get downtime is if your legislature changes the law. So we've been focusing on that. And then I came to realize I was at a meeting. Uh, we did a NUCA damage prevention meeting. I think it was early to 2020 before the pandemic hit. And um, flying home on the airplane, you know, sitting there, you know, you have nothing else to do sometimes. And I sat there and I said, you know, one of the things that the lawyer said at that meeting really made a huge impact uh, on me. And it's like downtime's not really the answer. Sue is the answer. Subsurface utility engineering. How do I get those people to start using it in Pennsylvania? It's already in our law. How do I get them to use it? That was the big um, issue. That, that we're dealing with. And that's how I got connected with Nick because it's like, we have to do something to educate people on the need for subsurface utility engineering. And just to tell you a little funny story real quickly, I had a contractor who was one of the first um, folks who sat on the Common Ground Alliance board and all the committees and all that, came back from a meeting and brought the Purdue study home to me. Um, and he said, Put this in your file folder, Brenda. We'll be ready for this in about 20 years from now. Well, he wasn't too far off. It was 22 years later. So that just gives you an idea of how much education we have to go yet. Uh, we've been doing it for 20 years and only the DOTs pretty much are using it, but local government's not using it. And we really can save them a lot of money if we move in this direction. So how, uh, how, how did you go about introducing SUE to, to NUCA? How did that work to introduce, let's say, what, uh, what has been built in the industry to the new, new sort of stakeholders? And Nick, uh, uh, what do you think about yeah. that? You want me to chime in? Do you want Brenda to start? Yeah. Or you want me to chime in? I think we want to have a conversation. So we want to have okay. a yeah. Well, I, I think um, what I've seen with the assistance of Brenda and some of the Pennsylvania uh, professionals um, that NUCA knows it's got an issue with regards to um, utility conflicts during construction. They're frustrated because uh, it isn't all on them. It's on the process and the process being that, you know, call before you dig 811 is only a tool that gives 
basic, not so accurate information, but accurate within the tolerances of the state laws for, for 811. And so, and they also then realized that um, they're receiving plans and bid packages that are on a perspective not as not reliable, at least from a construction standpoint. Maybe reliable from a you know information only with all the disclaimers that they put on. So what I see as challenges as it relates to the industry. First, I, I think I've got to separate and let's go back to the engineering planning and engineering side of things. You know, um, we've we've had a a very productive 20 years of working under ASCE 3802, which I was proud to be a part of that committee. Um, and now we are blessed with a new standard 20 years later. Now, some would say, why did it take so long? Because ASC has a process that, that requires you to evaluate an existing standard and make it determine whether it stays as is, uh, goes away, or gets upgraded. Um, but we, we had a pretty robust committee uh, with a good leader, Jim Onsbach, and you know it was in our best interest to let a brand new engineering standard for Sioux mature before we look and determine whether we need to upgrade it. So with 20 years as a committee, we've achieved a lot of lessons learned from our respective firms that provide this practice. So I see the challenge is going to be now integrating from the old standard to the new standard. And that has to be looked at carefully by the industry as well as the project owners, whether that becomes a hard integration or a soft integration. That's one challenge I see. I see that the market development uh, in other sectors is growing. It has been growing. It's beyond transportation and, and, and the various, it's gone into the private sector, design, build, alternative deliveries. And so I see the market not as a challenge, but as an opportunity. And I think with the construction industry now, AGC, Associated General Contractors, NUCA, they're joining in the voice for change. So I see that as a challenge, but it's a positive one. Um, the other thing, with all good things, you've got training, qualifications, and certification. Now, I know that ASCE and the Utility Engineering Survey Institute and the Subsurface Utility Engineering Association, all of which I'm a member and I'm board on, a board of directors for the Sioux Association, we recognize that we've got a limited resource of professionals and technicians and specialists. So we know we've got to start looking at the training, the qualifications, and the certification programs. And that's in the works. So I, I feel confident that's going to be a, a, a growing effort, but it is a challenge right now, resources. And let's, I have to recommend a challenge that we have is that we've seen Pennsylvania enact the law. We're now revisiting that law, thanks to Brenda, Bill Kiger, and many other utility stake owners in Pennsylvania, and myself, that we're looking at that law to upgrade it. And we've got Colorado's law that's been, it's what, four years in, in growing. We need more states to look at those two states and determine the need for laws or regulations to to get this practice in practice more fluently and the last thing i have to say and this is my biggest one brenda knows it we do a great job of dial before you dig and and, and notifying the uh, the utilities to go out there but you know what it, 
damage prevention starts in planning and design. It doesn't start in construction. And it seems that we've got an aggressive 811 campaign, which is great, but we need to be more aggressive in campaigning that damage prevention starts in planning and design. And I think that's the biggest challenge right now. And I think we've got to work as a whole to see that get better. Absolutely. So what 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 I did um, after coming back from that uh, 2020 um, NUCA damage prevention hearing was I, I found Nick and I, I started talking with the Pittsburgh UESI chapter of ASCE. Um, and I and I started talking with them and I said, we have, we have to get the education out there. We have to somehow find a way to educate people on what Sue is. Because after having Nick go to NUCA, what, three times, I believe we spoke before yeah. NUCA, I, I, after talking with contractors, I realized they still didn't understand what Sue really was uh, or is, I should say. And so I, I was just like, we, we have to do more. So we worked with um, Alma Redinger um, and... Um, Greg Scott out at UESI Pittsburgh, and we developed a Sioux Symposium. We wanted to do it live, but because of the pandemic, we ended up having to do it, you know, uh, virtually. And so it worked out really well. We had a few, few glitches, and you know how, David, you know how glitches are with computer systems, right? <laughs> Especially when you're trying to do so much. Um, and we had people from all over, but we had guest speakers. We, we did two case studies. Uh, one in Pittsburgh where they were, um, Pittsburgh was really, really, uh, it took a lot of guts, in my opinion, for them to show their project that had uh, every utility, I think, could be hit, was hit on this two block section in downtown Pittsburgh. So wow. it, it really brought the reality out of, you know, if they would have used Sue, they would not have had this problem. And then we had a project out of Washington State that we had done um, like a request for proposals and, and we picked the best one that we thought um, reflected really what Sue can do. And that was out of Washington State uh, that they did a highway project and they had zero hits on a highway project. And there was a lot of utilities under there and they had to move some, you know, um, their design, they had to move some things because of those utilities that were in the way. So it really brought out a lot of that. And we do have a access to those. If somebody wants to watch those, we have a QR code that um, we can get out to folks um, and, and let them watch those two case studies because they really are interesting to hear. Um, but that's kind of what we started to do just to get the word out. And we're talking about doing another uh, Sioux Symposium again. Brenda, By the way, I got to ask. Yes, that symposium. Uh, I've talked to quite a few colleagues after that. It's the first one in my memory, and I'm pretty old, that I saw a cross section of all stakeholders from various industries. So when you brought all of them in, and they were either panel members or presenters, it uh, it was recognized as a, a very good venue to have because we didn't just it was a broad spectrum of stakeholders. Yeah, and one of the other things that was really important, we also had uh, the, the the federal government comes down with the state revolving loan funds um, here in the United States, and every state gets it. Here in Pennsylvania, it goes to PennVest. So we had PennVest come in, and we had um, the, the executive director of PennVest explain that he will finance Sue in the planning and design phase 
but you've got to put it in with your um, you know, application when you're applying for the funds. And so that, that opened up a huge possibility for the excuse that you always get is, oh, another unfunded mandate. Um, I used to hear that all the time when I was in the legislature. This one is not really unfunded. There's funds available to you, but you have to request it through PenVest. So that, you know, that was another thing that was a great, um, you know, important point to get out, especially to local government. Nick, there's a question here to, to you from the audience. What do you believe is a challenge to have Sue established as a regular planning and design practice at the municipal level uh, down in Florida? Yeah, I saw the Roberto's uh, text. Uh, it's a challenge because municipalities, local, and, and even to a degree, county, mostly local, you, you, it's their funding. You, you got to realize their their pool of funds isn't as large as the state or the federal government. Um, but that being said, I still see that there's an opportunity, and there are municipalities that have SUE programs. We just recently, as George F. Young submitted on a couple of municipalities, and, and I know that George F. Young has quite a few what they call continuing service agreements. It's, it's more about the more we keep educating them, and the more we start seeing uh, regulations where, you know, they like to follow the Department of Transportation, by the way. If you look at most SUE programs, they all started within DOT. DOT. Then from DOT, um, counties started to develop it because most states' laws allow for you to actually piggy bank a, a municipality and even a county to piggyback on a contract that's already been pre-agreed upon with the state. So therefore, municipalities and counties don't have to necessarily advertise and then select. They could actually piggyback on a contract with firms that have already got state contracts. They're not pulling from the state funds, but they're applying that same agreement within their agency. So it's a good question. I think we'll start to see more. It takes the industry, the practitioners, and, and uh, to, to go out there and, and knock on their door. You know, Roberto, if your firm is out there, any firm wants to take and do lunch and learns with the, with the uh, county or municipality, give the Sioux Association a call, give us a call and we can do that. But there is municipalities that are working, just not enough of them. Brenda, I have a question on uh, on what you said before, that at the beginning, the contractors didn't really understand what Sue was, and uh, uh, some would argue don't understand what it is uh, today. So what, what do you think contractors do understand about Sue? Like, how do they perceive uh, the challenge of subsurface utilities today? Uh, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I've tried to drill down into their brains. I, I actually have... A few on my uh, who were on my board of directors who were really starting to get it, um, but they were just here in Pennsylvania, and so they they were they're like one hundred percent behind making our Pennsylvania law better, right? But at the national level, I just I just wasn't reaching them. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, I did hear that they were afraid that. Um, they were afraid that the engineers would be upset with them. And I'm like, why? 
because for, if I'm the engineer designing that project and I use a Sue practitioner to do Sue on my project, I've actually reduced my liability. Who wouldn't want that? I'm <laughs> just like, okay. So I, I don't know where that came from um, or, or why. I, I still don't really understand the concept that they have um, or do they think that the municipality or the local government, we'll call them, or that they're going to be upset with them because it does cost money to do Sue up front, but they haven't come to the realization in their head, which Nick can talk to you about the Sue studies um, that have been done. We have a slide if you want to show that slide then. Um, but he can show that there's, there's a huge return in investment if you do that Sue up front and then you're going to get the return in the end. So here in Pennsylvania, we did, um, um, you know, $400,000 or greater projects. And, and, you know, most of that, that's a lot of the projects. Thank Which you. slide was it, Brenda? Yeah, right there, back one. Keep going. No, move it up. Let's see. Right there. Down. The one Brenda said. Nope. This one? Forward one. Well, another one. Another one. One more. Number five. There you go. Yeah. That's the one. Okay. So, Nick, do you want to talk about those studies? Yeah, uh, briefly. I mean, it, there's studies that have been done, and there's actually uh, there's futures to come, I believe. Uh, but when you look at the original one that was done back in 2000 with the Purdue study, that FHW commission, that study reduced the positive return, you know, for four. $1.62 cents for every dollar. That study was just about the benefit, the return on the investment with the DOT's project activities, such as the design schedules and things like that, or any claims filed there. It never took into consideration the benefits of what the utilities are being in, are, are, are receiving. So, um, so that one was, and then we had Ontario uh, University, of Stud uh, University of Toronto, $3.41. Now that just looked at the utility only. The Ontario Sewer and Water Association had projects and they looked at the projects that actually my old company, uh, T2 or, or TSH TBE joint venture, uh, we participated in that study and we were the pro we gave them the projects that we had sue on. But the most significant ones now are the 2007. Now the 2007 took into consideration all aspects of utilities, DOT's project cost, and also the utilities relocation and coordination cost. There's there's a twenty-two dollars and twenty cents savings for that's every dollar. That's a massive that's, number. That's is, is that's significant. And yeah. then you look at the PennDOT twenty twelve study, eleven dollars and thirty nine cents. So, and the good thing about this, the DOTs are paying this bill. And the municipalities, counties, they pay the bill. So this isn't costing the utility companies anything. They're actually getting a benefit. Their information is being now depicted more accurately than their own records. So this is a good study. And the trend is good. The trend is positive as you look at from 2000, 2012. So, so what are we missing? Like if the numbers are here, what are we missing? Well, well I, 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 it's, it goes back to my number three item, uh, number four. We've got to get the lawmakers enact more states to have a Sioux law and have rules and regulations to follow that law. Pennsylvania's done it. Colorado's done it. We need more states. 
it's 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 just the natural way it works. I mean, DOTs have done a great job. Uh, FHWA has done a great job, but FHWA is limited now. They have limited funds to help promote programs. We have to do it as an industry. So therefore, I just we've got to push. Go to D.C. Go to your leg, state legislators. Go to congressmen. We've got to do more of that. If we get more states to see the benefits, because their own states are seeing it, Texas, Florida, California, many states realize the benefit. You know, at one time there was over 48 DOTs that had either statewide, district-wide, or project-specific. Some of that has, has diminished, and but we're seeing a revitalization coming. But we need to get more state laws. Simple as that. Yeah, and there, there's not going to be fewer uh, utilities put into the ground. There's going to be more and more and more, especially with the fiber optic, you know, that they're building out in even in rural areas now with yeah. the funding that came through. So it's just going to get more and more. And we, we should know where that stuff is at. I It's funny because my husband and I build our house. We built everything we own ourselves. And when we did that, my husband was like, I'm, I'm like, mapping all of our utilities out. So if we ever have to do something, dig them up, we know where they are. I mean, we're just an average person. I didn't work for the, uh, you know, NUCA at that time. I was, I was way back in my career and my husband thought of that already. And it's just like, well, if, if the average person could think of that, why in the world would you run a utility and not think of that? You know? Um, and so we need to get that Sioux data collected and then the next step is we have to get that data mapped. And there's a new title out um, or a standard out, ASCE 75. I'll let Nick talk about that. But that, that standard is going to tell you how to map that data so that it's uniform across the nation. And I just saw something yesterday, by the way, and I did a photo of it quick on my phone. The UK is already done. You are. Yeah. You know? And it's like, where are we, U.S.? I mean, yeah, my, we're supposed to be the greatest nation in the world, and, and we don't have our utilities mapped? I, I mean, that just boggles my mind. So, Nick, will you, will you tell I'm them about that? Because, I'm smiling on that one because I'm a proud father. I'm the father <laughs> of a past 128, and what an awesome uh, industry of professionals and practitioners with the British Standard Institute, uh, Institute of Civil Engineers. Uh, they have... Uh, I was amazed when I was there in, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, where um, when I when I went there to plant the seeds and work with the industry, uh, and we started our committee, they had just one sub. We had one subcommittee just on geophysics, and and the and the professionals, the practitioners. We're not talking. They was of all ages, and they understood geophysics for utilities, and they've been practicing for years. So it's a yeah, they're 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 amazed. Them, uh, I, I give them kudos, along with the U.S., Canada. But they, you know, past one twenty eight, and the U.K. is really striving ahead, fast tracking. So if let me just, uh, I see that uh, Steve had um, a, a chat in the chat. He said, in order to sell to state legislators, uh, let you have to move the discussion beyond benefits and approach Sue as one of value. Let me tell you, <laughs> I have worked with legislators for a long time 
And the only time they really look at anything is when it's a crisis. And I hate to tell you that, folks, but I'm, I'm going to give it hardcore here. I'm going to give you a reality. I don't want to see someone have to die to make the law better. I just think that is absolutely ludicrous. Um, but it is unfortunately the way the legislature works. Congress is the same way. They, they, they work off of crises instead of working off of looking down the road at the future. How do we change that? I don't know. I mean, I tried to get uh, funding for infrastructure projects and we actually did get 800 million uh, two different ways, but they, they said that the public would never support it. I said, well, just put it out for a referendum and let's see. And I won way one 60 some percent. Okay. Uh, which is pretty good for a referendum. Uh, and so I, I got 400 million from, for that, for infrastructure, um, funding so that we could, you know, improve our infrastructure. Well, we could have improved that. We could use that $400 much more efficiently and probably built another maybe hundred million dollars if we would have used Sue. That's how I look at it. Um, and maybe I'm off in my numbers. I'm not giving exact numbers. I'm just saying, you know, we can do more with the same dollar if we use Sue. It's just logic. Do you see the utility owners uh, making that investment in retrospect? Investment in Sue? And Sue and mapping their assets? Um, it's a good question. You know, I remember one of my old directors and mentor, he was a mentor of mine, Ray Afeld, telling me, because he came from GTE uh, 40 some years and I brought him on uh, to my old firm. And he said, Nick, they, they don't recover the cost because that's not considered capital improvements it's considered maintenance. And so they, they, big utilities see that as a, a cost that they can't recover. Now that's an old statement. It's like, don't take me for my word on that. But I just remember him telling me that. But when it comes to the utilities, you know, I'd like to go back to a, a, a fact. Most utilities, at least in the United States, and I could say probably other countries too, they, they are the largest occupant of state and local right-of-way. They're there by permit. And so most of their infrastructure is there. So I would hope that the utility industry would support initiatives to establish laws in the states to have a suit program at the state, federal, local levels. Because for them, it's a win-win. They The states are going to fund it. But also, I remember one other person telling me, you know how much it costs for just a couple of pennies in their telephone bill or their electric bill? That they go to public service all the time and get rate approvals. But if there was a, a line item that allowed for recovering of asset management protection, damage protection, and that, which includes Sue and 811, you know, I want to recognize 811 as an industry. They're the ones that pushed the initiative for Colorado. And they were involved in Pennsylvania. So here it was the Dow Before You Dig industry, which pretty much is for construction, was the primary supporter of the Pennsylvania and the Colorado law. So I, I think that's important to note that the, they are they are supportive of the 811 industry. But enact the laws, 
you know, utilities aren't, it's not really costing them a lot or anything. When you look at the work they're, where, they're, where they're doing their relocation, which is in public right away, most of it. So, so I want to play devil's, uh, devil's advocate for a second. So yeah. one of the criticisms that we hear often about the Colorado law is that there, it's very difficult um, to, to uphold. It's very difficult to kind of say, okay, like who's, who's in the, how, how do we track it? How do we uh, enforce it? So Brenda, um, maybe, uh, you also want to give your input here. You definitely want me to answer that one first, right? Because, um, so let me, let me start with the first thing that we, we did um, in 2017 is we made some significant legislative changes. Enforcement for us switched from labor and industry, which was just about worthless. And, and you know, those who work there might not feel that way, but uh, from our contractor's perspective, that's how it felt. Um, and we moved it to the Public Utility Commission. And it took me, I worked with the Utility Commission for 10 years to make that happen. <laughs> okay. Um, then we established a damage prevention committee similar to what Virginia has. Um, comprised of 13 stakeholders. They review and they make determinations of alleged violations. Who was at fault? Who pays this fine? You know, that type of stuff. Then we also did mandatory reporting, which I think was the biggest number one issue. You need to have mandatory reporting for all stakeholders on all utility hits and any violation of the act. Okay. So, um, and I'll just end with that last one, then I'll come back to that one. We also did um, required locating of mapped abandoned lines. So if they still had them in their records and they had them mapped, they have to now tell us where they are, which was very helpful in knowing some of the abandoned lines. It's not gonna be helpful for everything because everything's not mapped anymore. As soon as they took it off their tax rolls, that went off their maps, okay? Um, dollar saved kind of thing. But on the reporting for mandatory hits, if you want to go back to my slide two that yeah. I have, yeah. you'll see the, the, these are reporting statistics for 19 and 20. It's slide two. Yeah. It's a good slide. This one. Nope. One more down. There you go. This yep. one. So what we were always claimed as excavators was that, um, you know, we really weren't the, the biggest offenders of the one called law. In fact, it was the facility owners and the statistics after enforcement came out and proved exactly what we said. So on that first two bars, um, the excavator failed to su submit proper location requests. In other words, he didn't make his one call. And then on the second one, Comparing that to the facility owners, the facility owner failed to respond to a routine one call ticket. All right. And that number increased, okay, uh, because of uh, in 2019, because of the increased complex projects that we have, wow. which said everything was a complex project, basically, pretty much. Um, and so that really um, changed those numbers. But you can see that the facility owners were at fault. In 2019, 82% compared to the contractor, 18%. 2020, 76% to 24%. And then um, looking at the next highest violation, 
the excavator failed to employ proper excavation techniques. It was 36% in 2019, 35%. And then in 2019 and 20 for the facility owner, they failed to locate their underground lines, which was mismarked 64% and 65% of the time. A huge difference there uh, when you get to have violations. And that's because here in Pennsylvania, we have to report it. Now with that reporting came the ability, and I was, I can say that, you know, as the executive director for Nuka Pennsylvania, I was probably the first to file the, um, what they call an alleged violation report on an engineer and a project owner for failing to use Sue. And we've had several of those. They, they would come on, they said, oh, we did level D and C, but you had six utility hits. So you didn't use a sufficient level of Sue. And so they ended up getting fined. Um, and that has really made the engineering industry or design industry pay attention because now they're like, well, okay, what, well, what do I have to do? So I don't have to go before the PUC, you know? Um, and so it is really changing the numbers. I think that's a really good number one thing for you to do is get your enforcement and get them really active. I know there's other states that have enforcement. When I saw some of their numbers, they have like six, and you know, violations in a year. I mean, I mean, we have AVRs that have been filed. Um, I think the last report it was over eight thousand AVRs were filed. Now, keep in mind, you've got every stakeholder filing. So you have the, you know, the facility owner, the the excavator, and the project owner, and sometimes even maybe a. I, I don't know how many times a designer would, but. You've got three different entities, so divide that by by eight thousand. That's still a lot of AVRs, you know, a lot of hits and or issues and violations that are happening. So enforcement's going to be your number one key issue, um, and you definitely have to get that Sioux language added into your your law. I'm, you know, I'm 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 a huge proponent of changing laws when it makes a big difference. And it's going to require you finding a champion uh, in your state, um, a contractor. If, if you can partner up with a facility owner that you're good friends with, that really helps. And um, the other thing, too, I think you need to do is you need to uh, find a good champion a legislator in both the, your House and your Senate, in, in both chambers. You have to have a champion. And, and when you look for a champion, look for one who has a history that's really good at passing legislation. Because a lot of guys who've never passed a bill will say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And then they don't know what to do and they don't know how to get laws passed. So you got to look for those who know how. Typically, that would be your chairman of your committee uh, is what I would suggest. Brenda, yes. Let me let me just add to that real quick, because I know we, uh, yep. I, I I know that ASCE, American Society of Civil Engineers, and they do a good job of going to con uh, going to DC and lobbying for change as it relates to the engineering community. Um, unfortunately, we're just a small little fraction, which is called the UESI and the Sioux Association. But what I can tell you, the, what I've seen in my many years of experience where we've seen laws change that related to engineering and construction has been the stakeholders, of, which is the construction industry, the contractors, the contractors, AGC, uh, they yield a big influence on change. And uh, that's why I think what NUCA is doing, 
Uh, we've, I, I know we've, over the years, we've presented many times to AGC. They're strong supporters of, of Sue. Um, so if we're going to change laws, bring all the industries together. Uh, yeah, you need a champion, but they know the legislators. So they'll know who will be their champion there. Now, to ask your last question about Colorado, or the question you asked, Colorado is in a learning curve. And, and listen, they, it's, they're young. It's been going into four years, maybe four. Or, they're learning, but the good thing is they've got the same structure in place. They got a, a board that assesses the claims and damages and sets fines. Um, and they're also now uh, realizing that we've got that new as-built standard. Because Colorado's program was set to be use ASC 38 in design and planning and design. And now with the new ASC 75, it gets to just take the SU deliver the SU information that was used for the bid documents, which was done by SU ASC 38. It's now taking that into the electronic realm of, of, of project delivery during construction, in which the asphalt will be done on that project, and then it'll be then updating the old file that was done in 38 ASC 38 for that project. So to me, Colorado's doing it. It's learning. We're going to have growing pains for a while. Absolutely. We have another question here from uh, Roberto, uh, who asks, with regards to worker safety, what role can um, OSHA play uh, in this space? I Personally, I, I think OSHA, um, it, to me, um, I'm not exactly sure how I want to word this. Let me think about this for a second. They, they have a role in, in worker safety, okay, uh, but, and this is a safety issue. If they could help at the federal and the state level push the legislators into moving towards Sue, that to me would be the biggest promotion that, that we could ask from them. Um, I, I don't need them going out and doing violations on people. They're already doing that. Um, you know, they get called. I know they do in the Philadelphia area. They get called all the time to go out if there's, you know, a, a miss, an injury that occurs to a worker. Okay, which is what they're supposed to to cover. But the fact that we could reduce worker injuries if we had sue in the planning and the design phase should be their rationale and their reason for pushing for it. Nick, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And you know, OSHA. Um, you know, there's an old saying, you need to inspect what you expect. And I know when violations occur or, or something happens on a job site that's health related, that they do come and inspect it. Uh, if they could just start to determine what was the cause of the injury or the damage, the injury of the individual. Uh, and if they, you know, short, it was electrical strike. Well, let's go further down and let's see how was that utility actually located correctly in the right position when they did it. Um, so I think it's just about OSHA. It is a big organization that is the biggest promoter of health and safety. Uh, we just got to educate that industry, uh, that organization to um, inspect when they're looking at these uh, these injuries and determine the root cause of the injury. Not that it was electric electrical strike or a, or, or it, it was what's our gas explosion. What's the root cause? Take it all the way to the back from planning and design. Go all the way back and you'll see that well 
the information was inaccurate. So or the information was accurate and they actually used ASC 38. Well, guess what? Engineer of record, you better get your records open. true i think that another aspect to it is and i'm gonna choose my words carefully here uh like brenda said uh is that when you talk to the owners it's not that safety isn't a concern it definitely is but in their day to day the challenges that they meet are more around budget overruns and schedule delays and if you ask the, the uh, average engineer what keeps him up at night, uh, like a good engineer, they're going to say safety first. But right after safety, the real answer is going to be schedule and budget. And I think that that's like when we start talking about hours and dollars, that's, uh, that's going to be the driver to change. Just my point of view. No, it's a, Dave, you make a good point. And I think that's um, not uncommon from my perspective. I do find it interesting, though, when I compare the U.S. to other countries. Uh, I'll use the example. Um, the, when we were planting the seeds for the, the Sioux standard in other countries, U.K. and Australia, their first priority for us trying to push a standard like ASCE they want to know the health and risk perspective, health and safety, health and safety. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to look at this, we want to know what's the benefits to health and safety. It wasn't about schedule, saving money on, on, on the project. It was health and safety, especially big in the UK. In fact, the, one of the videos that we saw was a live incident. And I, I, I can get that for you. And it was of a young man that was doing work on a, on a highway project there and was struck by electricity a bolt he had and and it was a vivid story because it was in like you saw this with the person himself and all that so it's they're big in health and health and safety and that's how we pushed the past 128 and as as 5488 was based off of health and safety as the primary value yeah so what what do you two see for the future of the industry. What do you see happening in the next five to ten years? I see tremendous growth. <laughs> I see I see tremendous growth uh, in uh, with the two new standards uh, in the engineering and design. But with this growth, it's got, it's got a lot of challenges that we do this thing in a very organized. Um, again, I call it a soft integration. But there is opportunity because you know our infrastructure. Uh, you, you see the funding that's being dedicated nationally. So yeah, we've got to we've got to really step up and, and see that. So that's a great opportunity. Absolutely, I, I also see an explosion uh, in just the three years that we started here in Pennsylvania, really promoting uh, Sue in the planning. Let me make that clear: it starts in planning and then yes. goes Steve, to the design Steve phase. Is, uh, literally commenting, yeah. Now, I want everybody to understand that, that that's, it starts in planning. David, I have to get kudos. You were the first one to really make that clear to me. <laughs> so uh, everybody, uh, you have to understand, you have to, you have to know what's there in planning. And then you yeah. can start 
with your design. Okay. And so that's really is key. It's very, very important, but I, I do see that changing. I can tell you, um, I, my small group of what I call Sioux friends, uh, we, we go out and we go to different, um, conventions for, um, township supervisors or the municipal authorities association here in Pennsylvania. And one of the things that we noticed was that the majority of those folks who are attending those events are very old and, and they're retired probably. And this yeah. is what they do in their retirement, which I understand, but they don't have the knowledge or the, the, maybe the, the drive, uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking as an older person here cause I'm retired as well, semi-retired I'll call it. So, um, but I've always been a computer geek and, and so I just can't let it go, I guess. But I see the value to it. It's, it's huge value knowing where you your utilities are. When I first started in 1996 and I was sitting at the table for the very first uh, one call rewrite that I was involved in, the facility owners were there with the project owners who are the local government folks. And they made the comment, the facility owners made the comment that, but for your utility going in the line, ours would never be disturbed. And so that's why we never have to map it because there's never going to be anything else that goes in that same public right of way. It just boggled my mind as a, as an ex staffer when I listened to that, but that is their mentality. <coughs> Believe it or not, that was just repeated to me a couple of weeks ago when I was in another committee meeting and I was like, Oh my gosh, that, that they still have that mentality. Um, so Sue is the only way that I see of, of trying to resolve that issue. And I do see for local governments, as those older people age out, you're gonna get some younger people coming in and taking those places. There's still going to be the need for local government. And I said this a long time ago, just for infrastructure, when you're building infrastructure and you wanna build it, they need resources. There's no resource for them to go to as a local small government entity, where do I go to get expertise to know how to even start to do Sue on my project? Brenda, and let me address that. Yes, that, thank you, Nick. Yeah, let me address three bullet points to, to David's comments uh, about the future. It's gonna be about, um, in my opinion, limited Sue firms nationally. So we're already starting to collaborate and team together to address the resource issue. And the other bullet is technology. Technology. We're over here right now talking to you, 4M. That's a that's a, a platform that will help us do our quality level D investigations in addition to the other levels of investigations that we need to do. So that means that we're using technology both in the data management, data delivery, but technology in the geophysics, in which we're seeing now advanced geophysics of all levels of all the different types that they're advancing as well to uh, able to communicate to the platforms, to the cloud. And so technology is gonna be big and having stakeholders such as your, your firm and others that relate to this whole planning, design, construction and asset management circle i think that's critical and the last thing i see is is that we uh the opportunity for us to educate the decision makers is here 
We just have to collectively work together and influence them in positive change. And I think if we work together, platforms like this, we'd love to have some, we, I'd love to see some state representatives come on board and be a part of it. And we actually at the symposium, we had we had uh, a representative. Nick, gonna, you and Brenda are gonna help me put that together. So next session, we're gonna have some legislators on here. Uh, we happy. can do that. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I have uh, wait. You had uh, I think two more points, Nick. Oh, the, you made you said the you said technology. Well, I, second, the, the technology, the teaming, and the last thing is the ability. We have the we have the network of decision makers to change and impact change in laws and best practices, but mostly the laws. If we get that, and I think one thing I will tell you is that I want to keep emphasizing, put more emphasis that. Damage prevention starts in planning and design. If we could have a campaign, 811 campaign, ASCE, UESI campaign, I'd love to see a campaign that says damage prevention starts in planning and design. And I think that will be a mindset change that we need to work on. I, uh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I'd like to add uh, a few a few uh, statistics that what we're seeing here at 4M is that although the 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 construction industry is uh, getting smaller, Brenda, you said I think uh, ASC stated that a third of uh, the industry is over the age of 55 and is going to retire in the coming years. And if you look at the past uh, decade, 2011 to 2021. Uh, nearly 2 million people joined the construction industry. Uh, this is according to, to the uh, yeah. uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Expected to join the construction industry in the next decade is 200,000 people. Wow. So, so uh, and that goes to your point, Nick, about technology. So this industry is going gonna, is gonna to have to get very efficient very, very fast. And I think this is the upside of it, that there's, uh, uh, for the entrepreneurs listening in, there's a lot of business opportunity here because there's not going to be a lot of people who understand subsurface utilities. And uh, like you said before, Brenda, the, the challenge is only getting bigger because there, there's only more and more utilities going into the ground. Like that's, that's a one-way one road. Like that's where we're heading. There's only going to be more and more, not less and less. It's not happening. We're not taking utilities out of the ground. Uh, so I think that the opportunity in the industry to create a positive impact is like this is a decade to do it. So anyone passionate about subsurface utilities, now is the time to get in and get your hands dirty. Yeah, and I, I also, David, I encourage everyone that's out there listening in and watching this hey when you get the video spread it out if you want this to grow take the video spread it out through your linkedin through your colleagues because the more we get this message out the more we're going to see change how we control change we can control it positively or the opposite Let's i'm told i'm the queen of, of subsurface utility engineering on linkedin <laughs> 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 that's true or not but i sure do Pass it along, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, uh, Facebook um, to some degree. Um, but uh, Twitter is where most of the legislators are. 
for those that yeah. don't know, um, for some odd reason, they, they don't get into LinkedIn. I don't know why. I have looked at every legislator in Pennsylvania. Not one has a LinkedIn account. And I'm just like, okay, uh, I don't understand why, because I would want to reach out to business and enterprises, you know, but apparently they don't. So, um, but on Twitter, that is where they are. So if I, I'm doing a lot more on Twitter than, um, you know, trying to get the word out. Everybody can, can do that. And I want to encourage everybody to start doing that. I really do because, you know, Nick and I have been doing this for three years and we've really focused mostly on Pennsylvania because that's where I'm from. But, um, and I was, you know, doing my job as the executive director, but now that, you know, I'm, I'm independent, Nick is independent, you know, we're here to help anybody. If you want to know what we've done, you want to see, uh, I'm actually creating a Sue webpage, um, uh, on my, um, on my website uh, for dpc-pro.com. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, anything somebody wants to get posted there, you know, I'm, I'm willing to like host that and get that going because I think we need that resource of where to go to find that information that you can use to advocate to your legislators or to your local governments or whatever. So, uh, you know, I'm willing to do that. I'm a computer geek, as I told you guys before. So uh, that's not uncommon, but that's, everybody has to do their part. It's gonna take all of us talking about Sue and not just a few of us. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And uh, I think that uh, Robert, Roberto has left us a pretty uh, optimistic comment that I think is uh, nice to end with, that we should also celebrate the progress made in recent years, especially thanks to organizations and individuals uh, like those on today's panel. Uh, so uh, on that note, a uh, huge thank you to Brenda and Nick for joining us today. Uh, hopefully this live session is going to be more and more often. Uh, we know that we're like we're, we're trying to keep to a weekly cadence of uh, podcasts and hopefully we're going to turn that into a live event. Um, so uh, that being said, thank you for everyone who was to everyone who was on the call today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for having us. Thank you.